When the hockey waters flow, they flow right here on the show. This is the Hockey Flow. I'm Major Cordero, and I'm happy to bring you into the wonderful world that is the Habs Wonderland this season. In any case, let me introduce you to the hosts of the show, Adam Boucher and Marco D'Amico. Adam Boucher is actually away this week, so he might join us a little bit later in the episode. But in any case, we have the amazing Marco D'Amico, who can be found all the time at scrimmageandstats.com, and of course, at the Hockey Expert on Twitter. And let's get started. Obviously, we're going to be talking about that series sweep over the Jets by the Habs, but let's get started with some of the other series first, and we'll start our our own usual Eastern Conference divisions. But obviously, this is not the Eastern Conference. Let's talk about the Carolina Hurricanes and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Currently, 3-1 up in the series are the Lightning. Marco, looks pretty much the Lightning are heading to us another semifinal. I wouldn't say so. I think that it's a pretty tight series. I think that, you know, as we've seen throughout the entirety of, of their series together, it just takes one win. Obviously, it looks bad. Tampa's got a 3-1 win. And, and by the time... This comes out maybe Tampa's already on its way to the semi to the semifinal, but I'm just not that quick to say that they're out. I mean, basically, if if Carolina can play a game where their goalie doesn't have to save them from Tampa Bay, uh, I think they have a legit shot of of playing upset. But since the Canadians have already taken all the upset juice you can possibly make in a playoffs, uh, yeah, I do see Tampa Bay. Uh, eventually coming out of this series that it, it'd be uh, tonight, uh, you know, Tuesday, June 8th, or uh, in the near future. I think that uh, Tampa Bay is just a well-oiled machine at this point. And the only team, the only two teams that I think can really stand up to them are playing each other. Uh, and that's Boston, New York. Amen to that. Well, uh, I, I would say, on the other hand, uh, I do think this is a little bit more a thing, but I'm, I'm not the hockey expert after all. I'm just the guy in the seats watching the wonderful game take place on the ice. But I'm hoping that uh, this game does wrap up and the Tampa Bay Lightning are in the next round because that would help my playoff bracket. In any case, move from there. Let's go to the Boston-New York Islanders series where currently Boston and, um, and the Islanders are basically holding that series 3-2 in a lead. Uh, you know, the first two games were, it was quite split. We saw like an OT win by the New York Islanders, but now it seems like they're doing that classic Barry Trotz kind of hockey, right? Well, I mean, yeah, they're not, they're not giving much to the Bruins. Uh, You know, watching the last game, the Bruins were all over the Islanders in the first period. And and honestly, it's, it felt like when the Bruins tied that game that the, the, you know, the onslaught was coming and, you know, the chances were coming and, and, and Brad Marchand's goal really, Wow first of all, uh, but really rallied the troops and, and Boston was firing on all cylinders in that point. And then the penalty calls began. And that's the main thing that's come out of the Boston, New York series is this, you know, how coach Cassidy has been kind of painting this idea that the Bruins are not getting the calls, uh, calling the New York Islanders, the New York saints, um, which I found a little hilarious. He was obviously fined $25,000 for it, which is hilarious. But um, it is making me uh, kind of pay attention to officiating a little bit more. I think some calls were a little weak uh, on behalf of the refs. Uh, You know, if you base uh, yourself on what they've done so far, these playoffs, and if you look at other series, um, but at the same time, you know, five goals against, you can't blame the refs for five goals against when only two were on the power play. Like, yes, it's a momentum killer, uh, but at the same time, uh, you have the perfection line, which has been known to rip momentum from the opposition. So I'm expecting significant pushback from the Boston Bruins. I fully expect this to go to seven seven games. But if they don't, um, the Islanders will be another boring team 
uh, in the final four to go with the Montreal Canadiens because they play a more, I would say, reserved style of play. Barry Trotz hockey, as you said. Um, however, I really don't think this is this is over. Uh, I think this is going to force uh, Boston to really dig deep. And it's going to be interesting who's going to be in nets because Tuka Rask uh, was said to not be 100%. was actually pulled after the fourth goal. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see who plays. Will it be Swayman? Will it be Halak? Uh, Vlader? Uh, personally, I think Swayman's going to be given the start. And if he wins that game six, I think they're going to roll with him. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here. But Boston has the depth to uh, to bounce back. So let's see what happens. So Boston having that depth, uh, what what would you say to Vermalov's uh, like current seasons? I mean, not postseason, so to speak. Forty saves. Uh, there were three for four in the power play. Um, I mean, what do you think overall? Like, do you think it makes a huge factor there? I feel like every goalie that plays under a Barry Trot system winds up becoming excellent. So there's that. There's the way that the system is structured to limit high danger chances against. However, I will say straight up, without Varlamov, Boston would have easily won the last game. Uh, he pretty much kept them in uh, the first and second period, especially after that Marshawn goal. It was all Varlamov for a long little while uh, before um, the Islanders were able to rebound with a power play goal. Uh, so when they needed some, when they needed a goalie to keep them in it, he did, and he's been doing, he's been delivering, uh, you know, basically the best hockey of his career consistently in a, in a playoff setting. So power to him and power to the Islanders defensive uh, unit. Uh, I can't say enough good things about uh, Pelic and Pulak. Say that 10 times faster, folks. You'll see, you'll mess up too. Pelic and Pulak, Pelic and Pulak, Pelic and Pulak, Pelic and Pulak. Oh, I screwed up. See, there, there you, you go. go. But basically that, what a shutdown pair, what a, what a top pair it is for them. And it's, it's, it's fun to see uh, Nick Letty continue to be as mobile as he is. Uh, and Noah Dobson finally be given consistent minutes in the playoffs. So really fun. Um, a good mix of young and, and veteran on that team. So uh, I'm really happy. Very opportunistic. Uh, very, uh, you know, intriguing. Uh, non, uh, you know, not very, um, what's the word you want to use here? Not very uh, predictable in terms of a series. And I think that's what makes it the best. So I really hope this goes to game seven. Uh, they deserve it and hockey world deserves it. I, I think so too. Um, I'm just nervous because the Islanders have a, have a knack for closing things out. And I, I think they will absolutely try to close things out in game six, but let's, let's root for that. An, an insane period uh, or two from maybe Mr. David Pasternak or Mr. Krejci. We'll, we'll see how it goes with the uh, Boston Bruins. It's weird to root for players on the Boston Bruins jersey, but hey, good hockey is good hockey, right? Let's move over to other good hockey, which is Colorado and uh, Vegas. So Colorado, we kind of wrote off Vegas, if we're being completely honest. We assumed Colorado would steamroll Vegas uh, in many ways. And that's not been the case. The series is now two all, and Vegas has put on some serious performances. Uh, I remember uh, on, I think it was two nights ago, <laughs> actually, no, was it? Uh, yeah, it was two nights ago on Sunday night. We got to see that game uh, right after the Habs game. And wow. It was uh, it was a, something to see Marcheseau just running down the ice, basically just running. Um, Marco, I mean, I, I honestly think Vegas has a real shot here, right? Oh, I think this series is now a best of a, a, a best of four, uh, three. I, I think we now see the the first team to two wins from here on out is in, and mathematically that seems pretty sound. But it really goes to speak to the advantage that the Colorado Avalanche had 
and the momentum that the Golden Knights now currently have. And the real question you need to ask yourself is, would Vegas be on the verge of eliminating uh, the Colorado Avalanche had Peter DeBoer not put in uh, Robin Leonard instead of Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Because if you remember that first game, they got routed um, pretty damn good and it just killed momentum. And, and you saw them kind of rebuild their momentum in game two, despite a loss. And then, you know, they win their game three and then they win their game four emphatically. So I think the momentum is purely in Vegas's core right now. This is really interesting because the winner of this series plays the Montreal Canadiens who have already, who are already through to the semifinals. So it's going to be, it's going to be a, an interesting uh, game to watch. Um, I enjoy the fact that Vegas continues to, you know, prove people wrong, even despite, you know, being down to nothing to the president's trophy winners. And, you know, Colorado is showing that they do, they are not the perfect well-oiled machine that everybody thought they were. They have holes and they can be exploited. And that comes directly by putting significant amount of pressure on the defense. And by, you know, forechecking two men, which is not something that Colorado is used to having done to them. Uh, it's thrown their ability to play, uh, you know, strong counterattack hockey uh, in doubt because they're not able to get pucks out of their zone fast enough. They keep getting picked basically because of aggressive forecheck. And we've seen many goals uh, over the last two games result because of that. And if they're going to have any success in these next three games, two or three games, uh, they definitely need to clean that up. I mean, uh, just drawing back to something you spoke about, that 7-1 win by uh, Colorado was kind of, it kind of threw the betting lines all over the place. I think most people were already betting heavily in Aval the Avalanche's favor. And then after that, it kind of just skewed a crazily amount. But Vegas has really shown that no matter what the metric is, like, I mean, you were talking about the circuit, the president's trophy. I mean, they've had the best five on five differential expected goals rate, uh, the high danger chance rate as well. And yet the, the Vegas Golden Knights have been fabulous, like honestly fabulous to watch. And I've matched them with the same level of intensity. What, what are the key ingredients to that team's success? Just being able to, to, to focus on getting the puck in transition, dominating the neutral zone uh, success and really being able to make the smart play at the right time. I think that that's been their strength throughout the season and that's what they need to continue doing throughout the series. Well, I mean, game five is tonight um, at 9 p.m. Eastern start if you're awake for it, 6.30 p.m. for the Lightning Hurricanes game. Um, if you're catching this and listening to the episode in advance, good for you. We love you. Thank you so much. Uh, but I think that like... Obviously, like Colorado still has the firepower in McKinnon, right? They have McKinnon and that amazing company of Landeskog and Ratnan. Like you, you have an insanely good line, perhaps the best line in all the NHL. You have a, a team identity that is very visible to watch on the ice, uh, and Grubauer has been pretty stellar. So there's there's still there's still very much a good, very good chance for Avalanche to win. We shouldn't say that this has just gone in completely in the opposite one uh, one eighty direction, but. It's it's exciting hockey, and I honestly like I, I'm just pissed that it's in the it's not being held at 9 p.m. And I know all you West Coast fans are like, oh, who cares? Yeah, 9 p.m. Prefer if it was 8 p.m. so we could still watch it here on the East Coast. But uh, eh, c'est la vie, c'est hockey, right? Absolutely. Speaking of c'est la vie and c'est hockey, let's talk about what we've been holding off and pushing off uh, because 
well, now he has reached it because whoever is the winner between the Colorado Avalanche and the Vegas Golden Knights, they know who they're facing. And it's not the Jets. It's the Montreal Canadiens. A week ago, we recorded the show uh, in disbelief in many ways because we had just experienced Game 7, a win in the first round over the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we were ecstatic. I think that that was in many ways for a lot of fans. I'll put myself on that list. That was our little mini Stanley Cup. Just holding, be able to rub it in the noses of our rivals and be able to say, ha ha, we did it in your face. That was wonderful enough. I don't think we were expecting to then see a team completely dominate. Like the word is really the word we have to say is dominate. Dominate the Jets as the games went on. And Marco... You have the pros of the poet when it comes to hockey. So please, in from drawing from the influences of the Bard, the Bard of Hockey, Marco D'Amico, spake. I mean, I think the Winnipeg Jets, right from the get-go, just did not have the pace to keep up. I think that, you know, this was a team that was pretty fragile. And when Montreal took the first game, and then you throw in the Shifley suspension, I just, I don't think there was much momentum to the, to what was going to occur for them in the series. And then you follow up the emotion of game one with the lack of emotion whatsoever in game two, a game that finishes one, nothing off a shorthanded goal. And I pretty much feel like you, you took the feet from under, uh, from under Winnipeg uh, by doing that, because now you've seen doubt into their minds. You've removed any, you know, any long-term benefit that could have come from the confidence that they gained from sweeping Edmonton uh, because you've, you've taken a two nothing series lead. You've put doubt in their eyes uh, and, and you know, their major offensive players not being able to perform in game two. And then again, in game three. And by the time you got to game four, uh, getting that first goal, uh, second goal, even once they, uh, Winnipeg tied it, you know, with the two goals from Logan Stanley, which were both easily savable and probably carry prices, two worst goals uh, during these playoffs uh, to me, or most savable goals during these playoffs. Um, even then uh, the Canadians were relentless in pushing the pace. I mean, doubled Winnipeg jets and shots. Uh, it was ridiculous. And, and the execution was great. And Connor Hellebuck was the only reason that this was even passably remotely close in any way, shape, or form. The guy was making save after save after save after save. And kudos to him. I'd actually have to say that he was the better goaltender in this series. And people are going to be like, but Montreal won in four. I understand. They could have been, they could have won in four without the need of overtime and by multiple goal differentials in each game uh, had it not been for Hellebuck. And Hellebuck kept it relatively competitive uh, for three or four games, for two of four games. So I think that he deserves a significant amount of props. Um, But I think that Kevin Cheveldayoff and the Winnipeg Jets during this offseason have a lot of decisions to make. They have some good cap space available and a decision to make with the expansion draft. But I think ultimately, if they're going to have any success moving forward, they need to invest a lot of those dollars, specifically uh, some of the money that's coming off of Paul Stasny's deal on defense uh, and a center depth, in my honest opinion. Even though I do like Cop uh, and I, I do like Lowry, um, you know, it doesn't look like Pierre-Luc Dubois 
uh, whom I, you know, I, I talked about at the beginning of the season in January when the rumors were out about his trade prior to being traded to Winnipeg. Um, you know, a lot of people were talking about, you know, Winnipeg acquired a bona fide first line center. Pierre-Luc Dubois has shown that his playoff series versus the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, you know, was a right place, right time scenario. And his play prior to and after the fact shows that he's going to he's probably going to stay in that second line center role um, because he had ample opportunity to be given the first line center reins for three games. And by game, the end of game three, Paul Maurice put Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, in the second then third and then fourth line really going to show you that, uh, you know, he's it's he doesn't have a problem necessarily playing against teams that are open uh, and and primarily offensive like the Maple Leafs. Uh, but he does have significant difficulty playing with teams that have structure and whom very much like to play as physical a game as he uh, his emotions were not in check. And once again, uh, it results in his team losing in the playoffs. So, you know, for me, uh, that's a lot of soul searching that the Winnipeg Jets have to do. Uh, did they make the right call in trading Patrick Liney for a center when they clearly needed help on defense and could have used that equivalent cornerstone piece on the back end, especially these playoffs with Paul Stasny coming back in game two? Um, maybe my honest opinion, I think the Montreal Canadiens' younger players were simply just better and continue to improve as the season went on. The first line of uh, Suzuki, Toffoli, and Cole Caulfield pretty much uh, did whatever they wanted. Um, and then you have to factor in Philip Deneau's line, which after Jake Evans' unfortunate entry, uh, saw uh, Arturi Lekkanen come in and score in back-to-back games. I mean, that's incredible. Uh, it's incredible offensive ability coming in from a replacement level player. Um, and then, of course, we can't talk about this series without talking about what we like to call the veterans line uh, of Eric Stahl, uh, Joel Armia, and obviously Corey Perry, who set the tone almost every game right from the start and were possession monsters uh, versus a team that's used to owning possession versus the opposition and running uh, a very physical brand of hockey. And in, and in turn, uh, Montreal was able to take and then, you know, take advantage of opportunities that were given to them. So kudos to the Montreal Canadiens. Anybody who would like to undercut uh, this achievement from them uh, based on the quality of the division can go right ahead. But, you know, most of those people are fans of teams that could have stopped the Canadians from qualifying for the playoffs and or stopped the Canadians from advancing further so it says a lot about those teams and less about the canadians um i think that this is a team that's coming together at the right moment the balance is good um do i think they're going to win the stanley cup i uh, will wait and see uh, i've been wrong many times already twice uh when it comes to my predictions for the canadians but uh, i will say that everything seems to be firing on all cylinders and if jeff petrie can come back healthy for the start of the uh, conference finals Anything is possible if Carey Price is standing on his head. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what the matchup is. But if I have to tell you honestly, I'd rather play a team like the the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, really? Yes, 100%. Don't you find there's a similarity to their style of play that you that makes make you a little bit nervous to play them? No. And I'll tell you why. I think the Vegas Golden Knights' biggest weakness is down the middle. 
We agree on that for sure. They, they, William Carlson is the closest thing they have to a first line center. And then Chandler Stevenson, um, to me, is not a top six center. Um, he's basically what Philip Deneau was to Max Pacioretty during his time in Montreal, which is a guy kind of filling in due to a lack of first line center. Um, so to me, I feel like this could open the door to a, a very kind of well-fought series. I think defensively, um, it's a wash because Pichangelo is, is great, but looks clearly injured. Shea, uh, Shea Theodore is, is, is doing quite well. I feel like Montreal's defense, albeit not as mobile as those two aforementioned players, uh, would be able to run uh, a pretty tight, physical, almost Western Conference-like style checking game versus versus Vegas. I feel like the speed of Colorado is scarier to me. I feel like the methodical pace of the Vegas Golden Knights is more along the lines of what Montreal could possibly have, you know, some remote success against. I'm not saying they would beat either in the playoffs, but I would love to, I'd love for the oldest franchise in, in, in hockey to play the newest franchise in hockey uh, up until, you know, two months from now uh, or next month. Sorry. Um, it would be cool, but obviously there's the classic uh, Montreal Nordiques, which, which obviously for those who don't know, Colorado Avalanche uh, series that could be had. So really it's, it's a, it's going to be a gift one way or the other, I think we're going to get really cool hockey. And I think, you know, if Montreal is able to hold their own uh, against the uh, against whomever they play, especially right off the bat in game one, I think it'll hush a lot of people about this supposed weakness in the North Division this year. Yes, uh, we weren't talking about very strong teams in the middle of the pack, uh, Calgary, Vancouver. Um, but I think there was definite quality. And I feel like we also need to understand that it's a different season in the playoffs and Montreal had a lot of veterans that were basically assured of making the playoffs and just basically coasted into the end of the season so that they would be better ready for the playoffs. And we've seen it now. Eric Stahl has been on fire. Uh, Corey Perry has been on fire. Uh, Shea Weber has played his best hockey of the year, surprisingly so. Not offensively, but defensively. Although Shea Weber on a breakaway is something I never thought I'd see. And then you sprinkle in the emergence of young players, both Suzuki and Kakaniemi um, with Toffoli leading the, the 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 Canadians in goal scoring. I mean, that's music to my ears. That's music to Habs fans' ears. So I think this is excellent. And it's something that win-lose, uh, I think that this franchise can be proud of. So fantastic. And I look forward to seeing how things work out now that the borders are officially open for NHL players to go uh, to and from. So it's going to make for exciting hockey. Exciting hockey ahead. Um, Also, exciting hockey that we should also talk about. I have two questions for you. One, can we talk about how, what an elite playmaker Cole Caulfield is to set up to Foley for that OT goal? Like that, I think, uh, I think a lot of people were already kind of sleeping on him as a sniper. You, I, I'm special because I have you. So you gave me the inside scoop on Cole like years ago. <laughs> so I was, I got to watch this guy come up and I've been like so excited. Oh my God, he's going to be a Montreal Canadian. And then when he comes to the Montreal Canadians, of course, Montreal Canadians fans do that classic thing, which is shit all over a new player. Uh, and then, of course, he's just been brilliant. And specifically that elite play to stat pass to set up to Foley. Yeah, I mean, well, Cole Caulfield's always been an excellent player overall skills player. I mean, he can, he can do it all, but he is known primarily for his shot. What that does though, is that 
that means he gets more aggressive coverage when he's in with the puck in a high danger area, which is exactly what happened yesterday where or last night where you see him extract the puck along the boards. He has Cole Caulfield won a board battle, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you choke on that. And was able to advance possession of the puck towards the crease, forcing the two defensemen to push towards him, opening up the passing lane to Toffoli. And again, he's been doing this since his time in Wisconsin because outside of him, there wasn't much in terms of, 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 of quality this year, especially with Dylan Holloway off for two months uh, for Canada's selection camp of the World Junior Championships. What did that mean? It meant that he had to diversify his offensive game and become more of a playmaker, which is why he wasn't used in his usual uh, left circle uh, power play office, as we like to call it, in Wisconsin this year. He was actually playing the right point. And that's because he was able to distribute the puck better and work better on creating plays that didn't result from a shot. And I think it's paying dividends for the Montreal Canadiens because that's now three decisive primary assists from Cole Caulfield off passes uh, that were unmistakable. And, you know, we saw it in the overtime, I believe, game five uh, overtime on Suzuki's goal where everyone, including uh, Jack Campbell, thought he was shooting and it was a pass back to Suzuki for a one-timer. We saw it again, I believe, in game three where Suzuki scored the dagger um, with a pass from Cole Caulfield from the left circle. Uh, just a quick tap in uh, from there, left alone in the slot. And then we saw it again last night. So Cole Caulfield, if he's not scoring, he can set up goals. Uh, and he, even if he's not producing offensively, his back checking and his surprisingly physical play uh, has been a breath of fresh air. So you got to love that skill, that energy in your lineup. And as long as he's not hurting you defensively, uh, you keep rolling that guy 15, 16 minutes a game. Incredible that he's going to be considered a rookie still next season. It's amazing. Um, we were talking a little bit before about Paul Stasny, but we should also talk a little bit more further about Paul Maurice. There's been some chatter about whether his job is on the line because of what the performance that happened with the Jets. Do you think there's any any truth to this chatter? I, I certainly don't see the the smoke, but maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Well, the Jets have been Jets fans have been frustrated with Paul Maurice for the better part of five, six years now. Uh, the handling of Patrick Liney, uh, the stories that are coming up behind the scenes of how Shifley and Wheeler treat certain players that don't fit the mold and and so on and so forth. And there's a lot of bent up resentment towards how he treats youngsters such as Vinny Hanela, uh, who, I mean, should in theory uh, be playing and can, is consistently sent down uh, for the purposes of not rushing him. But then, you know then they overplay guys like Logan Stanley and leave Sammy Niku on the bench. So it, it really creates situations of uh, animosity towards a coach. And I think we see it a lot here. Unfortunately uh, for Jets fans, I think that, you know, him getting swept the way he did in round two. Yes, it could also lead to a firing, but I also think that there may be some form of salvation from the fact that he also swept the Oilers and therefore isn't totally incompetent. So I think that the sweeping of the Oilers was more indicative of him keeping his job than being swept by the Canadians, especially now that they can turn around and give the excuse that his first-line center um, was out for three of those four games. There you have it, folks. We're stoked. God damn it, the Montreal Canadiens, for the first time since 2014, are going to be in the conference finals. We are so excited. Uh, 
uh, we're in dreamland. I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. Uh, I'm so happy. And I think Marco, you share in that joy. And uh, I wish Adam was here because he'd also share an echo in that joy. But in any case, Adam, we love you. You'll be here on the show next week. Uh, let's get into Block C where we have all the other hockey news that you might be interested in. And let's start off first with the gold medal win by Canada, a 3-2 overtime win in the IAHF tourney. Uh, Marco, anything you want to add to that? Pretty pretty straightforward for the most part. Well, I mean, it was incredible for a team that started off so blandly to come in and win, especially the way they did overtime after overtime. I mean, what can you say? Andrew Mandrapane was awesome. Connor Brown, tournament leading scorer. Poor Leaf fans. Um, it's, it's just incredible. Um, how they were able to come in together and what can be said about Troy Stecker, who is just, just awesome for, for Canada really did much better than I thought he would. And, you know, let's see what happens. And, uh, you know, hopefully this is a strong point for, uh, you know, a lot of these people to, turn around and, you know, be extra motivated to do some damage next season. So from there, uh, well, first of all, congrats, Canada. Yay, another gold medal for the cabinet. Uh, let's talk about uh, the gold medal that was received by the Buffalo Sabres as they got the first overall pick of next year's NHL draft lottery. Seattle getting the second pick. This year. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that, that's right. This year. <laughs> so it's coming up a little bit, like literally less than a month. Uh, we have the first overall pick given to the Buffalo Sabres, second gone to the Seattle Kraken. Marco... You're the draft guy. I'll go off. Well, I mean, the player they're going to pick most likely was playing for was was most likely playing in the World Championship tournament that you discussed. The two top players, in my opinion, being Matt Beniers, uh, not in order by the way, Matt Beniers of the United States and Owen Power of Canada. I personally believe they'll go for Owen Power um, unless there's some sort of trade where they trade down. Um, I think you go for the can't miss you know, kind of defenseman. I think that getting a guy like power in, you know, combining with, with Darlene, I think you're set on, you know, your, your, your two lines. Cause I think I, I believe Owen power is a lefty. I'm pretty sure he's a lefty. And so it makes it so that Owen power would be able to slot in behind uh, Rasmus Darlene or with Rasmus Darlene in certain situations. So it would be uh, extremely advantageous to the organization. And honestly, this is, this is not the year where you want to necessarily shoot for the stars. This is a depth draft. This is not a draft that has a lot of top end uh, star potential guys. There's a lot of good quality at the, in the top 10 and mostly a lot of good depth throughout the rest of the top 60. Um, but a guy like Owen Power had a pretty solid season as a true freshman at the University of Michigan, 16 points in 26 games. I know they already have Darlene, but, you know, you can never have many good defensemen. And perhaps the, acquis- uh, the drafting of Owen Power will, you know, streamline the eventual trade of Erasmus Ristolainen, which will allow them to in turn possibly go and get uh, that second line center. So we'll see what can, what comes from it, but uh, definitely uh, huge for the Buffalo Sabres. I think the biggest winner uh, of the draft lottery was the team that won the second pick, and that is the newly arrived Seattle Kraken, who jumped ahead of the Anaheim Ducks uh, and will be picking second. Should Owen Power go first? I think uh, Matt Beniers makes a lot of sense. Drafting a center uh, to be your first pick generally seems what you should do. Uh, if you want an example, 
That's exactly what Vegas did in 2017 when they drafted Cody Glass and Nick Suzuki uh, with their first two picks, uh, then followed by Eric Branstrom. So it would make a lot of sense. However, if they don't, they do have a few options available, and this speaks to the lack of consensus. Um, you have you have the rugged winger from the West uh, Western Hockey League, uh, Dylan Gunther. Um, you can look at Brant Clark, uh, who many saw as, as a possible uh, challenge to a guy like Owen Power for the first overall pick a year ago this time um, from the OHL, Barry Colts, but was forced to play in Europe this year, Slovakia, I believe. Um, Simon Edvinson, uh, who played for Falunda a little bit this year. Um, and of course, uh, you know, a lot of people will, you know, bring his name up. Uh, there's definitely talk of Seattle possibly trading down to acquire more picks or even essentially trading up uh, with Buffalo and an attempt to get Owen Power, allowing Buffalo to take Beniers, uh, the can't-miss top-six center. So there's a lot that can happen. This is going to be a volatile draft from top to bottom, but what it does assure a team like Buffalo and Seattle is quality uh, to a to a certain degree, and that will be good for both of those franchises. Although I'd probably say that Seattle will probably be the better team next year unless major changes occur including the talk that things are intensifying in the Jack Eichel discussions with NHL GMs. It looks very likely uh, that Jack Eichel might be moving on from the Buffalo Sabres. A lot to do with that prospective surgery uh, that the Buffalo Sabres do not want him to have because it would set him uh, out uh, a couple of, uh, you know, a few months, five to six months, and that could hurt their playoff chances. But uh, there's a nagging injury with Jack Eichel that's created a lot of friction with the Sabres as he is looking to have that fixed as soon as possible so that he can continue playing pain-free. So I fully expect uh, a trade for Jack Eichel to occur around the time of the draft. And the guy, the teams I'm looking at are the Rangers, the Wilds, and the LA Kings, as well as the Anaheim Ducks. I think those are the four teams that you'll hear a lot about. The maybe the dark ace that you might not hear anything about that could potentially swoop in would be the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, he would fit exactly what that that team is looking for. And if they could provide Buffalo with a signed, you know, a, a contract that is signed for Seth Jones, then you maybe have the crux of a basis of a deal. So. It could be pretty interesting, uh, but definitely those are the five teams that I would put forth. And there you have it, folks. That's the hockey flow as it flows this week. And my thanks to Marco D'Amico, who can be found always at scrimmageandstats.com and, of course, on Twitter at the hockey expert. Adam Boucher was away this week. We'll be back in action next week. You can find him on Twitter at ReallyAdamB. And myself, AJ Cordero, will catch you all next week. Go Habs, go. Go Habs, go.